Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. Good evening, everybody. Thank you for leading us in that beautiful worship, guys. We're going to let Jesus be a storyteller for us tonight. You guys like stories, right? All right, so he's going to tell a few stories. Um, It's probably going to hit us right between the eyes. You know, his stories pack a punch, right? So we're going to be in Luke chapter 14, and we're going to take a look at three different parables that Jesus told, but these parables all have um, a common setting. He, he told them all at the same time with the same audience, um, trying to teach them a lesson t- that they could carry on with their faith, and obviously one that we can take on ourselves. So while you guys are getting to Luke 14, I'm just going to talk a little bit about the context. One thing I like about, about Luke in his gospel is I kind of feel like Luke functions mentally kind of the same way that I do, like type A personality, has things kind of laid out orderly. And I, I love that account. I love the rest of it too. I'm just saying I really am drawn to, to that because I can know, all right, he's, he's writing this be, because it took place after this, because it took place after this. And I really like that. I really appreciate that. So when we're in here, when we're in Luke chapter 14, some things that have already taken place is Jesus really kind of brought a a pretty bold message already. He's already talked about, you know, the narrow way, and he's already talked about repenting or perishing, you know, the turn and burn, and Jesus was the original turn and burn pastor, so he, he very much did not shy away from, you need to repent, right? That was like one of the big things he told from the beginning, the kingdom of God is here, you need to repent. Um, he, he wept over Jerusalem, talked about how Jerusalem loves to kill the prophets of God, and just he was just heartbroken. So what happens after all these messages is this really high-ranking Pharisee is like, hey, Jesus, you want to come to my house for Shabbat? And automatically, you know, because of the, uh, the big messages that Jesus has been bringing, not making a lot of friends with the Pharisees, something's up here. If a high-ranking Pharisee wants to invite Jesus to come and hang out at his house for um, the holy day of the week, for the Sabbath, um, so something's up here, and it even talks about it in the early verses. It talks about how he was there on the Sabbath at a prominent Pharisee's house, and they were carefully watching him. And you guys know that if you've read through the Gospels, it's like they were following him around, just ready for, for him to trip up, do something wrong. They were asking him questions to hope that he answered them incorrectly, and they could be like, ah, got you. You're not really from God. So another reason I love Jesus, he's just like, yeah, all right, you can invite me there, and this is not going to go well for you. You're trying to trap me here, but I'm going to teach you a lesson, and he does. He teaches three lessons here. He's just just chilling, hanging out at the Pharisee's house, and as you know, at the Sabbath, 
by this point, they had kind of strayed away from the idea of, of the true origins of the Sabbath, the heart of the Sabbath, and they were very hypocritical in a lot of things that they were doing. And there's this guy that's sick, and this isn't the first time Jesus does it, but there's a guy that's sick, and Jesus just sees him, and he's, he turns to the Pharisees like, you know, obviously, this is my paraphrase, but he's like, what would you do? Should I heal him? And, you know, they're silent. And, of course, he heals them because that's what Jesus does, right? And they were just silent. They didn't have anything to say because he, t he puts them kind of in their place after that. He's like, if you, didn't have, if you had a child that had fallen in a well or an ox that had fallen in a well, you would help them. So, obviously, I'm going to help this person who is desperate and in need. So, that's how the banquet's starting out. That's how the, the Shabbat... Um, meal is, is starting out. All these other people are starting to come in. There's sort of a crowd because these prominent Pharisees did surround themselves with a lot of other people. Um, one reason being, as we're going to find out from one of these stories, is because they wanted to be front and center. They wanted people to look to them, at them. Um, so they would oftentimes invite a lot of people there. So I'm going to pick up here in um, verse 8 of Luke chapter 14. All this is taking place. Jesus is sitting there, prominent. The Pharisees are sitting there. People are coming in. And verse 7 says, When he, being Jesus, noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. So, all right, here's teachable moment number one. Well, he already taught them through his act of healing on the Sabbath, but here's going to be story number one to teach a lesson um, to the religious leaders of Israel. Verse 8, he says, When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the hosts who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And then we're going to look at these three lessons that he's trying to teach. And then I'm just going to leave us with a question at the end of each of these for you to ponder, because what greater thing than to meditate over the word of God and the lessons he's trying to teach us, right? All right, so here he, he follows up. He brings the conclusion. He says, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. So the obvious lesson here that Jesus is trying to teach is that we need to be what? Humble, yes. And this is the groundwork for the other messages that he's going to give. Humility um, is key for everything, right? Humility brings us to our knees. Humility brings us to a place where we can see God rightly and ourselves rightly. We can see others correctly and our relationship to them correctly. Humility is where it starts. So he, he drives it home right away off the bat. You've got to be humble. You can't promote yourself because people were seeking to be known, right? People wanted to elevate themselves. And what is the point of being a Christian? to make Jesus known, right? To act like him, to make Jesus known, not ourselves known, right? And we, we have some of those amazing verses from Paul 
I think I quote it probably every time I'm up here, but in Galatians 2.20 when he's like, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, right? And there's more to it than that, but that's like the basis of what Paul did. It's like Paul ends, Christ begins, and the rest of his life is Christ living through him. And that's where we, as believers in Jesus, ought to be, where we ought to operate all of the time. Every day is from that, that moment on. It's like, whatever I do today, it is not about me. It is not to make myself known. It is not to create an image for myself. It is to make Jesus known. You know, when you think about the image of, of a flashlight, so you're in a dark place, and you're walking in a dark place, and you turn on a flashlight, you don't see the flashlight. You see the light, the beam of light going out, and that's what we're like. We're the flashlight, Jesus is the beam of light going out. That's the focal point. That is what is getting shed on everybody else. Nobody is focusing on the flashlight. It's what they can see out in front. And we, as instruments of Christ, need to be like that. Don't look at me. Look at this. Look at Jesus. Look at what he's doing. Look at his love. Experience him. You know, also in Colossians, Paul talks about Jesus, and he says, when Jesus, who is your life, appears. And for us to be humble, to view ourselves correctly, we need to get to that place where it is all about him. Everything about my life is about him. And there's a lot of verses, those of you that have read the Bible, you know that this is talks so much about humility. We look at... Um, Colossians 3.12. I'm going to hop over there real quick. Feel free to flip with me. Colossians 3.12. says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Think about putting on in the morning, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever done that, put on the armor of God, or like one thing you should be clothing yourself in, I should be clothing myself every day, is humility. It's like, um, I don't know if you need to physically do that, if that helps you, um, if just rolling out of bed, falling to your knees. Sometimes I do that accidentally because I'm getting older. But, you know, if, I mean, if you just roll out of bed and just hit the floor, right? Lay out prostrate on the ground and just surrender yourself from that moment on to the Lord for that day. Because it is. It's a daily thing, right? Because nobody thinks about us as much as we do, right? <laughs> Another one, you know, Micah 6, 8. What does the Lord require? Can anybody finish it? Yes. We've got to walk humbly before him. We've got to look at the world around us with the right perspective, and we can't do that if our eyes are focused on ourselves and our own motives and what we want to do for ourselves. Instead of looking at God, leaving him in the, the driver's seat of our lives, and surrendering ourselves to him. And then Philippians chapter 2 is one of the great um, passages for humility. And 
and it's one of those passages that just like, okay, that's a challenge we can all take and then probably fail at every day. But it's just like, right off the bat here, he's in verses three and four, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Have you ever done anything out of selfish ambition? How about today? Yep. (laughs) And, And he goes on further and he says, rather in humility, value others above yourself, not looking out for your own interests, but each of you for the interests of the others. And this isn't talk about like some self-deprecating viewpoint of like, oh, I'm awful. It's like, no, it's like this person here, no matter how they're treating me, they are every bit as valuable and as important as I am. And their needs are just as important as me, right? And I try to, we try to tell our kids that too. It's like the, the earth or the sun does not revolve around you. The world does not revolve around you. Your goals in life are not more important than their goals in life. Your needs are not more important than their needs. And like trying to help them see where they fit in this world is they are another loved, cherished, valued, beautiful creation of God. But so is this person. And so is this person. So is this person, right? And we need to be able to look outside of ourselves and treat those people, even the ones that mistreat us, as a valuable, created child of God. All right, so let's go on to the next. Oh, and the question to leave you guys with, and one that I've been pondering, especially in preparation of this, is is thinking about the ways that we elevate ourselves or elevate our interests above other people's interests, or we try to promote ourselves, right? Social media has taken this to a whole new level of trying to create an image of ourselves, right? But there's other ways too, you know, pride existed before Facebook, you know, and self-promotion existed before Twitter. So it's not like this is new. Obviously, Jesus is hitting the religious leaders the same way. But everything that we do, it's just good to think like, am I trying to put myself front and center here? Or am I trying to put Jesus front and center here? Is there any way I can shrink back, I can diminish so he can be glorified. All right, let's go to the second story. So he's still here. He hits them with that truth bomb, and they're just sitting there looking at him. Um, I can only imagine the look on their faces. But then he's going to turn to the host and zero in on the host. Remember, the host is a prominent Pharisee. So this guy is, is probably highly esteemed by a lot of people and here this ragtag street preacher named Jesus is going to like turn to him and, and put him in his place. And then Jesus said to the host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So here Jesus is is not saying, I don't really think Jesus is saying, you can't ever have your friends over for lunch, (laughs) right? You've got to look at the heart of what he's saying. And obviously the host here is probably surrounding himself. There's this notion of reciprocity. 
and I believe that most people in the world and everybody in this room at some point, including myself, have operated from a place of reciprocity, meaning you do something for somebody else, expecting them to do something in return. Guilty as charged, right? And so many times, people will do things for other people. Even this, even this guy, it's like, you find yourself like, okay, I'm gonna do this because the Lord is gonna bless me. That is reciprocity. We don't bless others so that we get blessed, right? We don't give so that Jesus will give to us. We give of ourselves because he did. We give freely and richly because he does, right? So even the, the Christianese giving of give so you'll be blessed is reciprocity, and it's not biblical giving. So Jesus here is looking at the host, and he's like, all these people you've invited, you've invited to make you look good, and you know that they're going to repay you at some point. I don't see any blind beggars here. I don't see any hurting people here. I don't see the poor that actually need this meal. I mean, I, I remember when Danny and I were doing a lot of homeless outreach um, quite a ways back, and some people would come down with us, and they would just, after a couple times, they'd be like, we're done. I was like, oh, why not? Just, just keep coming. Like, well, they're not getting anything out of it. They, they don't seem to appreciate it. They're, I, this isn't for me. I'm not getting anything out of this. Like, what? You are missing the point of the gospel, you are missing the point of the gospel. You give of yourself not to get in return. And it, it was so many stories like that that just broke my heart. And I'm sure these Pharisees were kind of the same way. Well, it's like, it's not my calling to reach out to these people. I'm not called to the homeless. I'm not called to the, the hurting people. I'm not called to this district, right? We were, we've been going through the chosen again on... Um, on the Sabbath with our kids, and, you know, we're, we just are on the second episode of the first season, and there's so many times when they've already just said, you wouldn't be, you, you shouldn't be found there. You shouldn't be going down there. We don't go down there. We don't associate down there, or they'd be walking by, and there'd be a beggar, and they would go like this, and what does Jesus do? He goes like this, and here again, Jesus is just telling them, it's like, where is your generosity? Where is the heart of generosity? And again, generosity starts with humility, right? <clears throat> Excuse me, we can't be generous if we're just thinking about ourselves. Back in Luke 6, Jesus told another, was telling another story that really hits home with the idea of generosity. I'm going to look at verses 30 through 36. And in here, Jesus is, is giving the message about loving your enemies. And he talks, and I'm just going to paraphrase it. You can read it so that you know that my paraphrase isn't too far off. But it's basically just like, if you're only going to love those people who love you in return, you're just like everybody else. If you're going to give to those 
who can give in return. You're just like everybody else. You're going to do good to those who can do good to you. You're just like everybody else. And, and we try to tell our, our kids that too. It's like, don't just be loving to your sister or brother when they deserve it. And what a great opportunity to talk about how Jesus loves us because we rarely ever deserve it. And he still shows his loving kindness to us. And that is why Jesus can say to love your enemies because what were we before the cross? Yeah, we were enemies. We were in darkness. We were in death. We were enemies of God. And the love of Christ is what transferred us into the light, what made us children instead of enemies. For him to hang on a cross for the people who act in a way of enemies towards God is the ultimate act of love. So he can say, love your enemies. He can say, do good to those who abuse you. He can say, give without expecting anything back. He can say, lend to sinners, expecting them not to repay you. Right? I mean, we should be in the business of giving to people like, no, I don't want anything back. Extravagantly giving to people, say, I don't want anything back. And that is a challenge for me. And one thing that, that being married to Danny has taught me is extreme generosity. She is a very generous person. So the, the question that I'm going to leave with you guys to ponder for this is... Is your generosity sincere and is it extravagant? Are you giving until it hurts, expecting nothing in return? Are you giving only to be blessed? Are you giving hoping that something comes back your way or are you giving because Jesus gave everything? All right, let's go to the third one. I imagine that the people sitting there at this, we're like, okay, we're not inviting him back ever again. <laughs> but he's not done. So we pick up here in verse 14 of Luke 14. No, verse 15. All right, so he says, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Not a false statement, right? But Jesus is going to be like, oh, now that you bring that up, let's talk about that. So Jesus replied with this story, and he says, a, or a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field. And I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, 
What you ordered has been done, but there is still room. When the master told his servant, then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. So right after he just got done telling the Pharisee, the host, like, why aren't you inviting all of these people who actually need to be fed? He's going to go through this story and say, those are the people that are coming to my banquet, the banquet, the banquet of all banquets, the marriage supper of the lamb, right? The one that we all want the invitation to. You know, at least the people who made excuses were polite, right? Please excuse me. (laughs) But you know what? I mean, Jesus here again is, is just saying, you can't make excuses. Are you serious about this thing or are you not? Are you a man or a woman of God or are you not? Are you following me or are you not? And you know, these all seem kind of like legitimate excuses, right? They have responsibilities. They have a field that needs to be taken care of. You could look at that as like, you know, you've got a business that needs to be run or they have a yoke of oxen that they need. Uh, Maybe you just bought something new that something that um, God ordained. So these aren't exactly bad things, but if they take the place of following him, they have become perverted and distorted. Right? How many people do you know that have put work or possessions or relationships before and above Jesus? We all know people because we're all here, right? We've done that before. Everybody in this room. That's the thing I love about the word of, the God, word of God is nobody gets off free. I don't know if you guys have felt like a calling or a nudge that Jesus has been giving you, like, I feel like the Lord's kind of pressing me to do this, but, and then here come the excuses. You know, it's interesting when I was studying this parable right here, it took me back to the parable he told about the sower and the seeds. And it was interesting how this parallels the seed that fell among the thorns right? The cares of the world and the desire for riches and all that choked out the word of God. That wasn't good soil, right? So to find ourselves in this picture is not where we want to be. We're among the thorns and the word of God is getting choked out in us. And I'm sure you guys have felt that before too. When, like I can tell you, when I have elevated other things before the calling of Christ in my life, I have felt like I was being choked out by thorns and weeds. And I was not prospering when that was happening. And you guys can also attest to the fact that when you have Christ in the crosshairs and he is moving and you are moving with him and everything is flowing, it just feels wonderful. And it is hard to stay there. And I don't think Jesus is saying you can't have a new field. You can't have these oxen. You can't get married. But I need to be in and through and a part of all of that. 
You have a business, Jesus is in it. It's about him, it's for him. You have a marriage, you have a relationship, Jesus is in the middle, and, he's all, and it's all about him. You go out to buy something new, if you can't put Jesus in the picture, don't get it, right? If you don't have that peace about it, it's probably because he can't be there in it because it's not a part or it's going to hold you back in some way from walking in the mission that Christ has put on your life. You know, I love Ephesians chapter 2. It's like the gospel in a hand, about a dozen verses. Just you, you want to tell somebody the gospel, just like, all right, here's Ephesians chapter 2. Maybe even memorize it. And that way you can just pluck it out of knowledge. Like, all right, here's the gospel real quick for you. Um, but in one of those, I love verse 10 where it talks about you have been, or you are God's workmanship, right? Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared ahead of time for you. You didn't get saved for no reason. You didn't get saved to do nothing with it. You didn't get saved to keep it to yourself, right? Before you were born, God was like, you're going to do this. I got this laid out prepared for you to walk in, for Chan to walk in, for Bobby to walk in, for Kathy to walk in, for Joan to walk in, for Vicky to walk in. It's like, he's got it laid out there for you. But then here we come making excuses why we can't walk in it. And all we're doing is we are limiting ourselves and we're limiting the relationship that we can have with Jesus and we're limiting how we can experience Jesus moving through us and in us. You know, in Revelation 3.20, that image where Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. And those who open the door to me, I will come in. And we can't make excuses why we can't open the door. We can't do it anymore. And if you have been there, now is the time to lay the excuses aside. And again, it comes back to humility. What do you have to lay down? What has been in the way of following Christ and the call that he has put on your life? Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Um, I used to have it on the back of my truck. I just had that on there, and then it would be so cool, like a lot of times. And, and just try this out. If you really want to challenge yourself to memorize Bible verses, put the reference on, on your car window and then whenever you're stopped, people are like, oh, what does that say? On the spot, you might be thinking about something totally different, like, okay, I got to remember it. Here it is. And it's such a powerful experience. But in this one here, it's another invitation. I love reading those verses where Jesus is inviting us into something. He's saying, come, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we burden ourselves with those excuses, with those possessions, with those career-oriented goals, with um, probably not healthy relationships. We burden ourselves with those choices, but still, Jesus is saying, I am knocking. Come, come to me, and I'm going to give you rest. 
It's never too late to experience that fullness that Jesus is offering. Because we don't want to be those people who live among the thorns our entire life, and then at the end, Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. Because remember, he said that to people who did things in the name of Jesus. But they didn't do it for Jesus or with Jesus. And to make Jesus known, it all fits together, right? And I know that none of you want to be there. I don't want to be there. So the last question I leave you guys with to ponder, have you been making excuses that have held you back from the call of Christ in your life? And anytime we invite Jesus to dinner, these are the questions that we get hit with, right? But in a loving way, because Jesus loves us. He doesn't want to see any of us fail. He doesn't want to see us choose to walk away. He is always walking at us with open arms, even the Pharisees. And you got to believe that he was saying these things, not out of spite, but because he truly loved them. And even though he was invited there with Ill in, out of ill intentions, he was there to show them the path out of love for them. And even though we have not walked properly in our lives at times, he is still there when we invite him, leading us on the path, saying, come to me. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up.